You're listening to the Regent College Podcast. Welcome to the Regent College Podcast. I'm your host, Claire Perini, and today I have the great privilege of welcoming Vanya Levins. Vanya is a pastor, a musician, a teacher, and I think we might even be able to say author <laughs> of of a book of benedictions, which is uh, up and coming. Uh, she was the music and worship coordinator here at Regent for a number of years and also earned her MDiv here in 2006. In 2009, Vanya released a jazz and R&B album called Becomings. Vanya's also a spiritual director and she's just great. And so Vanya, we're so glad to welcome you. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Now tell us, we wanted to, I wanted just to talk a little bit about worship and what, what is worship? Let's start there. What is worship? Well, I assume when you ask about worship, you're talking about worship of the triune God. I am. I am. <laughs> you know, we could worship pretty much anything. Anything, yeah, true. <laughs> uh, and when you ask what is worship, I think there's so many images that come to mind and words. There's the Greek word proskunio, which is one of the ways that worship is described. And it means to kiss towards. And so I think of that posture of worship that one can have for the whole life long. Uh, I think of Deuteronomy 6.5. It talks about love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and how Jesus picks that up in the New Testament, saying, you know, love your God and love your uh, love your neighbor. These are the two greatest commandments. But then in John 15, he says, those who love me, obey me. And so there's this idea of, of worship being uh, like a lifelong posture of obedience. Uh, but then there's a scripture in the Old Testament where it says, Jacob leaned on his staff and he worshipped. And so there you have someone worshipping just by leaning on his staff somehow it's a posture of worship uh and i think more specifically of course what i've been very involved in is corporate worship and the gathering of god's people and there's so much that happens you know you think of adoration of praising god of declaring the truth about how who god is but you also think of gathering to to listen to hear the word of god and be transformed i think you know, when we think of corporate worship, uh, Robert Weber has a very helpful um, outline. He talks about the gathered people of God, and then we hear, and then we respond, and then we're sent out. And I think those are very helpful. It's a very helpful way to think of corporate worship, but uh, which includes music as well as scriptures and readings and silence and all sorts of things, visual things, actions. You know, depending on your tradition, uh, worship can involve uh, kneeling walking forward, uh, you know, contemplating on, on a piece of art. It's, it could be anything. Mm-hmm. So mm. lots of options. Yeah, that's good. And because often you, when you think about we in our kind of modern kind of or postmodern kind of thinking about things, you hear about these worship wars. And that actually usually refers to pretty much just the songs, usually, doesn't it? In terms of navigating song choice and, and those sorts of things. How do you... How do you, in terms of, say, just that musical element, we'll go on and think a little bit more about kind of that more corporate worship and sort of and how that, how we can best kind of help facilitate that. But in terms of those, that, that sort of worship war, when we narrow it down to just music, um, it's kind of a truncated view of worship, really. But tell us just while we're on it, though, what do you think about kind of that modern, how, how do you navigate those kind of, those kind of, the worship war when it comes to to music choice. (sighs) Well, what a fun topic you've chosen to start (laughs) off with. Uh, 
there's so much about that term that just worship war and and music and actually I don't think I mean it often is very uh, focused in music but I think it actually spreads to other things I'd like to back up and say one of the things we need to acknowledge as a church um, is that we're cultural beings and we all have culture and to separate culture out of worship becomes problematic uh, when you aren't able to name your own personal preferences and say, I like this type of song, or I really connect to God in this way, then the default tends to be that we tend to theologize our, uh, our preferences. And so if we don't acknowledge and name them as our own preferences, then we say things like, uh, well, Worship should be more God-focused. It should be about who God is, you know, none of this I stuff, which sounds really nice, uh, but it, it's not actually biblical. If you look at the Psalms, and the Psalms are, you know, for generations and generations, they've been uh, basically the worship manual that the church has used for ages. Uh, you look in there and you'll find phrases like, I love the Lord, or the Lord is my strength, or I cried out to the Lord and he answered my call, and it goes on and on. And of course, you'll also find so, uh, uh, verses in the Psalms that talk about the greatness of God, that say, you are great, you know, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, worthy to be praised, and so forth. Uh, but anytime you swing to one side or the other, what is really happening is someone is trying to make a, a theology of their own personal preference. And of course, when you phrase it in that way, who can argue with you when it's the way that it's supposed to be or it's the way that God wants it, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and so sometimes we have these, you know, people come out with these grandiose statements that sound really theological or, well, they are theological, but someone's own personal theology rather than biblically-based theology. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, what do I think about the worship wars? It's kind uh, of a bad, even just putting the two words together, just, just kind um, of an oxymoron, would we say, maybe? And, and I feel like uh, it's these types of discussions, the way that the church has been having them, to a the large degree, we've been slowing ourselves down and impeding ourselves from moving forward. Uh, one of the things I really value is something called a chapel committee. Mm -hmm. And in a chapel committee, uh, you gather people um, to reflect after a service. Mm -hmm. And they talk about uh, what was most life-giving to them and most life-draining. And it's this beautiful exercise in listening mm -hmm. and learning to pay attention. You know, in this, this service that I just was a part of, that I worshipped God in, where did I feel most alive and where did I feel most connected to God? Mm -hmm. And, and figuring that for your own self and then being able to articulate it as such, you know, I really valued this. And then listening to the person beside you. And it's amazing when you do that with a group of people, you discover the body of Christ. It's like, oh, we all, we all connect at different points. Mm -hmm. Some people will love the moment of silence. Some people can't stand it. Some people really connect with a certain hymn. Others, it's a chorus. And and there's not a right or a wrong. God made us all differently. We all have, you know, and so so I recognize my own preferences. But as I listen to my brothers and sisters, when I realize that they're meeting God in different ways than I am, of course, I'm willing to sacrifice what I particularly like 
you know, so mm-hmm. that they can also enjoy the service, mm-hmm. you know. And so if I have a particular preference for a certain style of music, whether it's, you know, a hymn, a traditional hymn, or um, a chorus or a piece of taise, great. But I'm not going to lead a whole service that way because I care about my brothers and sisters. And, you know, as a teacher, you know, I'm trained as a teacher and you have students and you you learn that your students, you know, there's audio students who learn most or best through audio means, others who uh, learn best visually and others, it's kinesthetic. Mm. Why would that be any different in Mm. a worship setting? Like, Mm. of course, there are people who are going to connect more through what they hear and others through what they see. And so there's all of these things that go into a service and and it it grieves my heart to see believers um, arguing over um, personal preferences mm. Mm. Uh, and and some of these you know some of the I feel like people have been ignoring a major part of the the hymn, let's say the hymn choruses discussion, which is a very, I don't even like using those terms, because A, there are more types of music and styles that can be used in worship than hymns and choruses. Mm -hmm. That that is not all we've got, but as seeing as the major discussion seems to be around that, let's let's talk about those two. With hymns, uh, what a lot of people don't realize is hymns are actually more... Uh, less accessible musically, they're more difficult, more difficult to play. Right, and so you know, often you hear these things like young people don't like hymns, and you know, the old people prefer you know the good theology, and and it's actually the resistance or um, the the unwillingness to play some of these songs isn't necessarily about the theology or the content. It's actually a re- a reaction against songs that are hard to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, the average hymn, every syllable, you're changing chords. Now, if you look at the average chorus, uh, the average chorus, it's every you know few words or every few bars you change a chord, or not necessarily, but th- the changes aren't as hard. Mm-hmm. And so I've found if I take a, a hymn and I strike out about half, sometimes up to three quarters of the chord, and I hand it to someone who plays guitar, and they've got, you know, uh, an average ability to play, they're more than happy to play that. And the other thing is, our hymns, you know, over the generations, our uh, our vocal cords are actually getting, uh, they're shrinking, right? So because we're a much less musical society than we used to be, say, even 50 years ago, you know, yeah. a lot more people used to sing, they used to, we actually have a lower range. So where it used to be normal to be able to sing a high D, E flat, that's not normal. So it's the culture's fault that I can't actually sing, is basically what you're saying. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, we don't sing, there's not a lot. I like culture for that. <laughs> Absolutely. Think about it. Like, where do you regularly sing outside of church? In the car. <laughs> Maybe in the car. At the top of my voice when nobody else can hear me. Great. So but, no, but not with other people. So I'm on my own usually. Yeah, and some people don't even sing in the car, mm. right? So once a week they come into church, they haven't been singing all week, and mm. they're expected to sing these high ranges. If you, It's amazing how well a congregation will sing a hymn when you actually move it down, you know, uh, two or three semitones. Mm-hmm. And when the highest note is, say, like a C above middle C rather than, you know, what you normally would get in your average hymnal. Some of the newer hymnals have adjusted. But 
you know, and, and this, you know, particularly, and now I'm speaking about North American Canadian culture, because that's what I know, but we're so sensitive. We'll be in a service, and if it's too hard to sing, we'll just stop singing. And I don't like that song, but we don't even really know why. And I would like to propose that most of the time it has nothing to do with the theology or right. the words. It's a reaction against the uncomfortableness of screeching up high. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, and maybe not being able to play the songs. And if you make a few changes, you know, I, uh, you know, people say young people don't like hymns. I, I had the privilege of working in a church plant for a few years, and church plants are usually young crowds, right? Yeah. And so we had, you know, average age was, you know, somewhere between 20 to 40 was about the oldest of most of the people in the congregation. We loved hymns and loved, you know, saying choruses as well. But I would say often the majority of the songs that were sung, hymns, uh, but lower and less chords. Uh, I remember a new Christian, he'd become a Christian after, you know, hanging out at a church around two years, a skilled musician. And so I was trying to teach him about worship. And I said, try and make sure that you have a mix of, you know, hymns and choruses. Mm. He'd been attending our church singing was I had to explain to him what the difference yeah. couldn't even tell the difference. Mm-hmm. You know, like they all seemed like great songs to him. Yeah. And so some of this discussion we're having is like we're not even having the discussion in the right place. You know, yeah. people are arguing about theology and so forth and you know, and you think of hymns, uh a lot of the hymns we sing today are really excellent and they're good. That's because they've gone through this process of like being pared down over generations and generations. And so, you know, the theology and great is thy faithfulness is really good or uh, now thank we all our God or but if you look at the hymns that were produced in those generations, you can find... They're not all great. Oh my goodness. (laughs) You know, people talk about the bad theology in choruses. I'm like, and you think the hymns were any better. You you need to stop. (laughs) You know, and, yeah. and you can pick up, you know, just pick up an older hymnal and flip through it, and you will find some very interesting, you know, thoughts yeah. uh, that are just as problematic mm-hmm. as some of what you see in some of the courses. And of mm-hmm. course, the older, you know, the courses that we have that are older have gone through the same, you know, the ones we've kept are the good ones. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like, you know... Y- any any art form you have lots of people creating and there's some good stuff and there's some bad stuff but you've got choruses that are directly from the bible (laughs) you know and then some people get upset about choruses because they're too repetitive and you know you look at psalm one which talks about meditating on the word of God and, and the words that are used there talk about like mulling and going over. And so, and, and, you know, most people would agree it's good to study scripture. It's good to repeat it, to think about it, to, you know, expand. Uh, but when you add music to it, it suddenly becomes wrong. Mm. It's very interesting, you know, and, and, and sometimes Taze, Taze is, is good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, you can, it's very formal. You can, Play that, and people understand. No, this is contemplative, meditative music. You can play that a few times over, and that's okay. Uh, but then it's a chorus, and it's somehow it's not okay. Not okay. Yeah. Um, and then you know, and, and of course, I go back to my main point, where this is a lot of cultural yeah. stuff. And and when you you start actually making cultural statements, when you know certain instruments are preferred over others, or uh, certain styles, you know, what well, we like this type of, you know, deep 
thought and this repetitive call and answer. You know, mm. uh, people can't see me right now, but I am uh, African Canadian, mm. right? And so, of course, some of my tradition is spirituals, yeah. uh, which are call and response, a lot of repetition. Yeah. Uh, now, for some people, uh, they may not connect with that, mm. but it's not so much as you needing to love all the different styles as to, to be able to listen and to understand how it's connecting yeah. with different people. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the African-Canadian, uh, African-American, many of us it's, have a slave tradition, right? Mm. Came out of slavery mm. where there was tremendous trauma mm. and the voice of the slave driver all of the time. So, of course, you would want songs that were easy to memorize because you couldn't read, you hadn't mm. been trained, mm. uh, that were call and response, and that you could actually... Uh, sing over the voices in your head, the negative voices, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and you can understand how for some people who've had trauma, that actually might be, you know, something helpful. Mm. Um, but then, you know, on the other hand, like to read a beautiful, like the richness and the depth of some of the hymns we have are mm. great. Yeah. And, and in, and in like five minutes, you can go through the whole, you can go from creation to Jesus coming back again. Yeah. And that is also deeply meaningful. Yeah. Uh, but I think, I think anytime we try and, um, choose one particular style and put God's stamp on it, mm -hmm that's where we're running into problems. Yeah. You know, I okay. think, uh, and now, right, you're, you're, you were involved in a documentary that's coming to mind, mm. uh, A Shoe and a Roof, something Twain like Shoe and the Roof. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I think, you know, Theron was, you know, and mm. the rest of you are getting at a similar point, that there's all this beauty that God has created. Mm. And, and it's, you don't need to choose one form or style and say, this is, this, this is, is the how way. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, yeah, this is really, it's really helpful. We could, Oh man, we could talk about it forever. But thinking about that, so thinking you've got these cultural, you know, you've got cultural diversity at play, you've got then personal preference at play. How do you actually, how do you put a worship service together? How do you put a corporate worship service together in a way that, like, what are the elements? What are the things that are the negotiables? What are the things that are the non-negotiables? How would you, how would you go about kind of speaking to that? Hmm. <laughs> I remember when I interviewed, um, for the, the music and worship position at Regent, one of the questions I was asked, so what's the bottom line? Mm -hmm. And I'd actually heard someone quote Eugene Peter Peterson's answer on this, and so that's what I gave. <laughs> <laughs> always good. Always good to question. <laughs> and I said, are you telling this story? And I think we mm -hmm. gather as a people to remember and rehearse the story of God. You know, we are a forgetful people. And yes, of course, while we're doing that, we're worshiping God and we're praising God. We're being transformed and we're being formed. Like in the act of doing that, God is changing us and healing us and we're repenting. And there are all these things that are going on. Uh, but we are telling God's story. Mm -hmm. It's about God. And, and I mean the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, and so I think that's like the overarching thing. I think... Uh, you know, I mentioned Robert Weber gathering, um, hearing, responding, sending. That's something I think of. But I also think of, you know, well, a typical evangelical service is centered around the preaching moment. Mm -hmm. So one of the questions as a worship leader who's putting something together, I would think, uh, how is, what do we need to prepare us for this word? 
assuming I, I know it's going to be preached and mm-hmm. there's been some communication about that. And then what will help us respond to this word? So begin to build a service around those mm-hmm. things, uh, those ideas. What yeah. will help us prepare for this? What will help us respond? Yeah. Uh, for example, like if, if someone was going to do a sermon on the grace of God and just you know, focusing on how we can't earn what anything that we've done, uh, sorry, how we can't earn um, any, you know, anything God's given us and, and it's, it's grace, mm-hmm. then, you know, I might do something a little bit different. You know, normally we would put the benediction at the end of a service, a blessing of God's people as they're going out, mm-hmm. you know, to emphasize or to help bring out the fact that it's all grace. Why not bless the people of God right at the beginning of the service before they've done anything, you know, yeah. just to, to help them understand before you've done anything, you are loved, you are, you know, chosen, mm. cared for by God. Uh, and so, you know, you have your the form of your service. And, and, you know, depending on what tradition you have, of course, there's less room or more room to, to move things around. But I'm, you know, in terms of where I'm placing things, I'm thinking what will help us prepare mm. You know, um, if we're talking about forgiveness, uh, you know, would it be a a good place to start? Would it be a call to worship emphasizing the holiness of God or uh, something else? Mm. What will help us prepare? Uh, Do we need a moment of silence? Uh, Do we need that before the sermon or do we need that after the sermon? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's that's really helpful. And then, and you sort of spoke a little bit there about benedictions. Yeah. And you've written a book of benedictions. What? Tell us about the benediction. It's not always. It may not be familiar to to everyone in terms of their the style that they're coming from. What's the what's the what's the point of the benediction? Why the bened? What's what's happening there? Yeah. A great question. I grew up in a tradition where we didn't have benedictions regularly. Uh, but got to know them, and I just love them. I think it's one of my favorite parts of the service. And I think, you know, we gather, uh, one of the reasons we gather is we gather to be sent out. You know, I think of Genesis 12, where it says, uh, you are blessed to be a blessing. And there's this idea that we come, we worship God, he, he meets us, he speaks to us, he builds us up so that we can go out and be a blessing. And I think of the blessing as blessing the people of God so that they can go out and be a blessing. And it's this wonderful opportunity. You know, often in a sermon, you'll have heard some, some call to something, you know, to, to be more obedient or um, to, do, to do something, you know, change of behavior or whatever. It's this beautiful opportunity to remind people that anything we do, we don't do in our own strength. God helps us. And so whatever God asks us to do, he helps us to do. And so to affirm, you know, the love of God over people and uh, and then to remind them that God is with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's also like it orients people. It's like, yeah, you're going out into the world to bless. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's, Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful opportunity to remind people of their identity, yeah. you know, part of our calling as Christians. Yeah, totally. And then that's very helpful. Um, thinking about, so thinking about the elements of the service, I think we would sometimes, it's hard for us to sometimes lament. And yet you've talked about the, you've talked about the Psalms and the, the kind of, those are the hymnal of the, of the, of the Israelites and of the people of God throughout the ages. And so how does, how do we, how do we kind of navigate the joy and lament moments? 
it's not, I was going to say a dichotomy, but it's not necessarily a dichotomy. But how do you, how do you navigate those two elements in a service? How do we navigate it? I well, mean, we just yeah. need to. Include, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's so many ways that that can be done. And I think we need to be really intentional. I, I think, and I, I mean, I think the church is realizing this more and more, but it, um, it's, this picture of a Christian that is happy all the time is not is not Christian. <laughs> you know, if, if you if you think about Jesus, who was you know the most perfect human being, uh, who who modeled what a perfect human being could be for us, and and was also fully God, but he he wept, he was angry, he was frustrated. Uh, Jesus wept at Lazarus's funeral, and he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. Like, think about that. You know, some people would be talking to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you know, like, you need to remember that Lazarus is going to, you know, and, and there has, there's something that has slipped into some of our theology that it's not okay to be sad. And yet we have this text in Romans 12, which says mourn with those who mourn, Mm. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, there are reasons for that. We do have scriptures which tell us rejoice in the Lord always. And so, well, how, you know, how do those things go together? But, um, you know, when, when we're in gathered people, we have people coming from all sorts of situations. You know, we have people who have, have been through uh, depression, you know, that week. You've got people who are rejoicing, people, you know, someone's been through a miscarriage, someone's struggling, you know, um, those are the people that, you know, as worship leaders and pastors were, were leading and to not acknowledge that, you know, and, and there's a way that you can call people to worship and people need to know that you can praise God without being happy. Mm-hmm. To praise God is to tell the truth about who God is. That, that's what it is. And so you can do that when you're, you're in the depths of despair or, you know, you talk about how do you navigate. I remember at Regent, we had a situation at one of our chapels where we were going to sing this song. It was very upbeat. Lord, you're great. Your mercy endures forever. And uh, by Ron Canole or one of these people. Uh, no, no, no. Israel Houghton or whatever. Mm. Um, you know, big band. And then we found out that uh, one of our students, their dad had died suddenly. And it just was not appropriate mm. to be singing that song in chapel. Uh, but the refrain was, God, you are good uh, all the time, all the time you are good. We prayed the words to that song. Mm. Um, we spoke them. And it, it it was amazing. Like, they were right, but it was just the happy tune that didn't work anymore. Uh, and then there was this chorus that I just wrote something simple and minor to that we sang together. But we actually need minor songs. You know, yeah. some people have been feeling minor all week. And if they come and everything is happy clappy, uh, like that's, it's bad pastoral care. <laughs> it's, it's, it's horrible, you know? Yeah. And and you can have, it doesn't mean you can't have a joy-focused service, or it doesn't mean that you can't invite people to, to stand up and clap, or, but to acknowledge, you know, to, just to release people to say, some of you may, may be in a place where you're not able to engage, that's fine, you know? And to, when people are acknowledged, it makes it easier for them to participate and join in something, mm-hmm. even though they may not be in that space, mm-hmm. you know? And to have lament services. But also, I think, you know, 
as opposed as opposed to having you know having a lament service and having a a, a service that's you know more joyful thinking and being creative about the words we use and the things we say our call to worship our benediction how where are the spots where we can just acknowledge the diversity of places that we're in mm-hmm. uh you know yeah and then when you were you were just saying earlier about how then you switching one week you had planned to do something yeah. and a situation arose where then it meant that things needed to be changed sometimes um in, stru- in services that need to be really structured for whatever reason, it might be the constraints of time in the place or whatever. How do you how do you sort of again it's navigate or how do you understand spontaneity and structure, kind of working in a worship service? So obviously there is plan. So you've sort of spoken to that, but any other sort of thoughts about that spontaneity and structure huh. and allowing yeah allowing allowing room for yeah. Um. Psalm 121 is coming to mind for some reason, but the the verse about how God does not slumber or sleep and this idea that God is always at work. And so I would like to say the Holy Spirit is always at work too. And so, you know, I I grew up in a tradition that perhaps valued a lot of spontaneity more uh, and, and have worked in traditions that are a little bit more structured. And I think the one thing I would say is like the Holy Spirit is, you know, can tell you something a year beforehand or five months beforehand or three, three, three minutes or in the moment. And for me as a child of God, I just, I want to be open to all of that. So I try and do the hard work of preparation and planning. I do as much as I can, but at the same time, I'm always ready for something different. And um, you, you know, I think often at, at Regent, the services looked very planned, but you would be surprised at how often there's, there's been a change um, or there's a change within the service. And, yeah. and I think um, I would encourage that openness to the spirit, but also that careful planning and preparation. It's one thing to plan and prepare. And then if God says, I'd like you to do something different to go with that, then to not plan and prepare and to have to pull something together and then blame that on the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. This is, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so acknowledging that the Spirit's at work in various aspects of your planning and everything, obviously the Spirit is at work as well, not just in that kind of that little congregation. How do you understand the kind of the, the relationship between the local body of believers and the local gathered church and the rest of the global church as well as uh, saints from the past and right into the future? How do I understand it? I love well, it. How would you <laughs> speak to it? Yeah. I could speak to it. I'm like, how, that, that's a lot to understand. <laughs> There's a lot to understand. How would you, how would you speak to it? Uh, I think it's really important. I think there are lots of things that we can do to help our congregations become aware of the rest of the body of Christ. I think one of the most helpful things we can do is is uh, engage with the 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 Christian uh, the calendar, you know, um, seasons like Advent and Lent and Easter. Like these are the things that the whole body of Christ around the world in various languages 
is using. And so it's one way of connecting with the rest of the body of Christ. But I think also, you know, I think of calls to worship and to remind people that when we gather, it's just not us who we can see in front of us, but, you know, the saints above and, um, and as well as, you know, people in other nations and countries. And, and sometimes, you know, I'll introduce, uh, you know, I said, we want to be mindful of our, our brothers and sisters in Africa. So, and, and, that, and let that be a symbol of not only of them, but of, of others around the world. So let's, let's sing the song in Zulu. You know, there's, it's amazing what simple songs there are that are really easy for congregations to learn. They're not too difficult and they're not hymns and they're not choruses. <laughs> uh, that you can use to to help um, to help people remember that the body of Christ is huge, mm-hmm. like huge, mm-hmm. and and we like we bow and we worship God with 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 people from all around the world, and and you know one way I do that is, uh, you know, and I guess in Vancouver it's a little bit easier, but like look at who's in your congregation. You know, I mentioned a Zulu song. Well, who did I learn that Zulu song from? It was one of our South African students. So I said, hey, you know, could you teach me this song? She said, yeah, there's a song called Real Leboa, you know. Uh, But then we have a student from India. You know, he's going to be doing his uh, IPAT tonight, and he taught us how to sing in Hindi. And what a gift that is. And, like, we we need to be doing that. And, you know, it it will help us understand, you know, what missionaries are going through and, and just what people... People from other cultures who come to our our country and and need to learn English and worship in English, uh, it's okay for a, a church or a congregation to stretch themselves just a little yeah. bit and to stumble through it mm-hmm. in a service. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And then you you sort of touched on the church calendar. Yeah. How do we how do we bring that in in meaningful ways? How have you have you seen that done, or how have you done that yourself? Well, I think, you know, depending, you know, in some traditions, no explanation is needed. Uh, If you're in a place like Regent, where you have people from all different traditions, or you're in in a church context where that isn't the norm, then of course you need to introduce it, explain it, you know, talk about church year typically follows the life of Jesus, and they've set it out so that you're kind of going through his life in the course of a year. You know, Advent, you're waiting for Christ to come. And, and so forth, you go through the Christian year. And so it's, um, yeah, it's uh, art comes to mind. You mm-hmm. know, uh, you, if you look at a lot of the art that's over the years, there are different uh, pictures of, of different points in the, the calendar. Uh, when you say, you know, what could we do? There's just so many ways. There's the, the colors, yeah. you know, um, and I think there is a number of variety, you know, like uh, in, um, you know, at, at Regent, uh, we've had an Advent wreath. And so mm-hmm. we've used the candles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was part of another community that uh, had people light candles off the Christ candles during the every week of Advent to remind us that our, we do not generate light from ourselves and that it comes from Christ. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's lots of flexibility. There's... Um, there's so many possibilities. Yeah, and there's room for creativity then to actually acknowledge that. That sort of ties us with the past, ties us with the global body of believers as well. Yeah. And yeah. And and as well as other traditions that are that are maybe not doing things exactly the way that we are, but there's actually they're actually we're following the same liturgical year. Yeah. yeah, so there's a unity that comes from that. And some of these seasons are great opportunities to bring other people in. Like one thing I think we haven't touched on is, you know, one of the things I'm really passionate about is 
um, having more of God's people involved in the corporate uh, worship service and not just the execution of it, but mm. the planning of it. I think uh, one of the gifts I got um, from uh, my experience as a child in on a worship team was I had a worship leader who would come and he, he'd prepare, put the time in, but would also ask a, the question to the team, did any of you get anything or hear anything? And this it was this idea that any member of the team, even a 12-year-old shy girl who played the flute, mm. might have heard from God about something that would help corporate worship, you know, in that week mm. coming. And uh, so strikingly different from this idea that one person yeah. plans it and does it all from top to finish, yeah. uh, which... I've done before as you know as a worship coordinator it's very it's a lot easier it's more efficient but I will say the times where I've been able to involve others it's always so much more rewarding and rich Mm -hmm. Um, when you can draw in others and get their perspectives there are and in some churches it's neat like uh, you know I grew up in a tradition where the worship leader uh, was the person that was kind of theologically guiding the service as well as doing the music whereas I've I've worked with other traditions um, where there's a worship leader and that person actually is kind of the host of the service they do most of the talking prayers and such and then there's the musicians who are separate Mm -hmm. and so the musicians don't necessarily have to be theologically trained Uh, and so some some traditions for them what I'm about to say is is a no-brainer but that there are people in your congregations who aren't musical who are um, needed, like who have lovely, wonderful thoughts about worship and and can add, you know, one of a couple of years ago, I, I pulled a couple teachers and a um, an actor together to help plan an Advent service. Mm. Uh, and it was amazing what they came up with. And, you know, they helped write a prayer for the congregation to pray. On another occasion, there was, um, I had a life group and they were concerned about the e- Ebola plague. Mm. And they're like, we we'd like to do something around this and so our small group composed of you know graphic artists and a chef and you know all these different sorts of people we sat down and we wrote a congregational prayer to pray about Ebola and then we we it was responsive and so we used it a couple of weeks later and and I think you know, we say that each one of us is a part of the body of Christ. The Bible says it actually. <laughs> and we each have a part. Yeah. Uh, and it's just not one person. And so I, I'm like, why do we veer towards the one person show? Like, what is that? And how, how can we involve more people in, in not only the execution of worship? So like one of the things I'm known for is I like to have as many people up front as possible, readers and so forth, but also in the planning, Mm -hmm. you know, if I can find, you know, let, let's not have the norm be me and myself, you know, I go hear from God and you can all listen to me, you know, and it's not that it's necessarily bad. And I think sometimes, you know, time constraints and so forth, but we should be looking at this other option. Mm -hmm. And and if at all possible, we should be working towards it. I I don't think the other should be our norm. Yeah. 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 You are passionate about that. Is there anything (laughs) else? Is there anything else that you feel passionate about that you want to, you want to leave us with before we, before we wrap up? Oh, I think I'd just love to to bless anyone who's listening in their walk with God. Um, 
that they would know that God is with them, that he hears them, uh, that he is, is committed to helping them grow in Christ and in God, and that um, because of God's presence with them, they, they will be blessed, and they will, they will, uh, God will continue and accomplish what he started in them. Amen. Vanya, thanks so much for your time. You're welcome. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Regent College Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you'd like to hear more content like this, you can find lectures, conferences, and entire courses at regentaudio.com. And to find out more information on Regent College's degrees and upcoming events, go to regent-college.edu.